I just like challenges. I get bored easily, which is why in the company I work with right now, I started as a regional manager and I was covering, you know, three to four states. But right now I cover all 49 states and I'm, I'm the assistant vice president. I literally travel. I'm in San Antonio right now sitting in a hotel room, <laughs> hoping nobody knocks on my door to say cleaning or anything. But to me, it makes life more enjoyable when you actually have to see what it takes to get there. That's not that easy because then everybody will have what you have and it's not so special anymore. Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I'm a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome to another live recording of the Nursing Home Podcast, the podcast that you've learned to turn to and trust, where we offer and deliver actionable information in regards to nursing homes, and we leave the fluff for other sources. In today's episode, uh, we'd like to introduce to you Nebras Hayek, Assistant Vice President at Gentile, but even more than that. Before we, you know, jump too far in, I, you know, our listeners already know who I am. They've heard me on other episodes, but Nebras, if you can take just, uh, you know, a minute or two, just to let us know a little bit about your background, and then we'll get to what you're doing right now. Sounds good. Um, so, yep, my name is Nebras Hayek. I'm the AVP for Gentel. Um it's a, a provider, a Part B provider that markets to nursing homes. This is why I feel like this podcast will be a perfect fit because um, the last maybe eight years of my career, I've been marketing to nursing homes and I come from a nursing home background as well. I used to work at them. And, um, you know, I am originally from Chicago and I moved to North Carolina in 2016. That's when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Um, huge Cubs fan. <laughs> so that that was like a significant year for me. And uh, since I lived in Charlotte, I struggled finding work because I always felt that um, everybody was telling me I was overqualified coming from Chicago and doing the job that I did before, which is VP business development for a nursing home chain in Illinois. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it got to the point when I wasn't able to find work. So I contacted the owner of that nursing home, who was a friend of mine, and he helped me get the job that I have right now. So that's just this is why I love this industry and I love the connections that you make and never burn bridges because we're always looking out for each other. I don't okay, know if that's amazing. <laughs> no, amazing. This is, this is definitely true. That's true in every industry, but definitely even more so in our industry. Um, let's back up a minute, if you don't mind. You mentioned casually that you're the VP of business development for the business that you worked for beforehand. Um, why nursing homes to begin with? Um, it's actually really funny because I... My background is in computer science. I used to solve computer crimes for the government. I worked in forensics. But um, when I worked, when I graduated in Chicago, one of my friends got me into home health marketing, which I absolutely didn't understand, you know, coming from a IT background, getting into that. Um, but then as fun, like just part of like an activity that I just did it just for a hobby, I would always um, host events for like American Alzheimer's Association, American 
um, uh, you know, like just doing all these events for healthcare, for orthopedic surgeons and everything. So it got to the point when it kind of caught the attention of the nursing home owners and nursing home uh, VPs. And I got recruited to do uh, work as a director of physician relations, uh, marketing to hospitals because, you know, they realized I just knew a lot of the hospital executives and it just kind of rolled into, I got kept getting promoted within the company because I kept reaching the goals and eventually I became P VP business development. It just became a job that uh, I felt like it was not so much of a job, more like a, just I'm just living my normal life. I'm always talking to people and it felt like I was just talking to people, but it was part of my job description, creating the relationships. Yes, I mean the best, the best jobs and the people who are the most successful at what they do are when they're not putting, they're not putting on a facade and they're not becoming someone who they're not at work. It's a natural, um, it's a natural way of expressing their natural talents, their natural abilities to the point where, hey, why am I being paid for this? This is what I would do anyway. Um, which it sounds Absolutely. like pretty much what you're, what you're describing. So let's move to the point that you mentioned a few times already, which is very true can't speak for every other industry, but certainly can speak for this industry, is that it's all about relationships. Um, I can recall at a point, I don't remember, I, I can recall at a point where we needed, in my administrative days, where we needed to replace a roof. Uh, a commercial roof is a big job, but a commercial roofer would be very happy to get that job. It could be several hundred thousand dollars to do. How do, we, how do you figure out which person you're going to use? You don't um, go online and check out reviews. You send a, a WhatsApp to whoever it is, send a text to a group of people and say, hey, who should I use for a commercial roof? A couple of people respond with a thumbs up to whatever names are dropped there. And that's it. The decision is made because there's a certain level of trust. We know that the people that you're talking to are people who are in the same boat. They have the same needs. You can't just take any commercial roof. We need someone who's going to understand the unique environment of a nursing home, respect that it's the resident's home, there can't be any downtime, whatever security issues there might be, whatever, how it impacts the environment that they're in, how important pricing is, because as contrary to popular belief, nursing homes are not rolling in as much money as the media <laughs> makes believe that they're running in. And many times operationally, they're running on very tight, it could be healthy, but still tight budgets. Yep. And it has to make sense. But with that type of connection, with that type of relationship, you know, a big deal could be um, could be closed, you know, relatively quickly. The same thing could happen in buying a nursing home and selling a nursing home or picking a certain vendor or, or choosing to hire someone and not to hire someone because it's almost like, you know, the good old days where things were bought and sold with handshakes and relationships. Yeah. So if Still someone is... It still is, 100%. It still is. I can't say in every industry it still is that way. But for sure, in this industry, a lot of it still goes that way. So so let's um, discuss just a your prior lifetime, so to speak, your last stop, um, where every nursing home struggles. You know, they, they live, they used to say they live and die by census. Now it might be live and die by staffing. Um, but census is still a very important thing. And everyone's like, you know, the old school way of, of doing things is that I'm going to knock on the case manager's door, give them some donuts and tell them how amazing we are. Give them a brochure, which I'm sure they've never seen before. Um, and used to be able to give them actual things, which now most hospitals don't really allow if they know about it or at least don't officially allow. 
And, but somehow you're going to develop a relationship that way, then they're going to send business. They're going to send uh, referrals to your nursing home. It doesn't work nearly as much even before COVID, but certainly now with COVID. So what would you say based on, you know, based on your experience and, you know, uh, with solving this problem for nursing homes, if someone right now is the admissions coordinator and their administrator just came into their office today, said census is down, fix it. You're a clinical liaison and you're the owners breathing down your back. You're at 98% census. What do you think this is? We need to be at 101. <laughs> what would you call them are like some low-hanging fruit that they could do in today's climate, post-COVID, whatever you want to call this period. Um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Somehow I feel like this section is going to be the longest section and the one, the most listened to one. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Um, so I love this because I always felt like I'm really good with critical thinking. So the company that I used to work for in Chicago, um, the owner... He literally said, you you completely report to me. I want to know everything that's going on when I first got hired. He's like, just go and do your research and let me know. Send me an email based on what you think is happening with every facility. And I loved it. That was the favorite part of the job. So before, I believe, owners or anybody was like in a top, you know, like a C-suite um, personnel, before you decide to say, okay, this nursing home is struggling or not, find out what's going on. So I went to nursing homes. There was one nursing home in Illinois that the first step I did is literally fired the medical director. The medical director was such a huge, um, he had a, like a, a really big name in the hospital that was our 911, the hospital that fed us business. But the reason why I did that is not because medical directors are, they don't really, I mean, they're not supposed to be feeding the nursing home with referrals, but they're supposed to be advocates, you know? A mm -hmm. medical director is supposed to believe in the nursing home. And if there's something that he doesn't believe is working, he needs to change it or help change it, guide it, lead it. I mean, they're the representative representatives of the nursing home. And what bothered me is when I met with a physician that was very popular, I immediately, he started telling me all the problems and everything. And I was okay with it. And I said, okay, well, doc, what's good about it? What do you like about what you do? And then he told me, well, you know, I can't tell you. Like, sometimes I wonder why I do this. And I said, well, you know, I'll answer the questions. It's his monthly check. So exactly. So immediately <laughs> when I heard that, I immediately said, well, doc, I don't think this is going to be a good fit for you anymore. I made a decision on behalf of the owner. And then I get a call from the owner and I'm thinking I'm getting fired because I, I was just disgusted by his response. Uh, I get a call from the owner and he said, I'm proud of you. It's something I've been trying to do for a long time. So my thing is I brought in a medical director from a hospital that we've been trying to get business from, not because other doctors there were not good enough, but because I wanted other hospitals to know that we're not, because they even said, you know, like you're always going to the first hospital, um, you're not giving us a chance. And I also believe by interviewing different physicians and asking them what's important to them and make sure it aligns with what your corporate mission is. Um, so that's one way, finding out which medical director you have. And it's not about referrals. It's about who, because, you know, sometimes other doctors that could be a huge referral force sources, they can look at your medical director. And if it's somebody who's respectable and has good ethical standards, they, they're going to refer business to you knowing that this patient is going to be in good hands. Um, so that's the first step. The second step is out of sight, out of mind. I found out that there were a lot of our nursing homes that were calling, you know, they were calling 
the admission director, I'm sorry, the discharge planners and the social workers. And like you said, they were like, go there and drop the brochure or like cookies with like a sticker of our facility on it. Um, I don't know about you guys, but if I see a cookie and a sticker, I just peel the sticker off and just eat the cookie. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even worried what it came right. from. Um, so it was, I have a rule and I even did a post on LinkedIn not too long ago saying, never drop off a business card. Business card will sell on your behalf instead of you selling for yourself. So if you're dropping a business card, if somebody would even look at it, they will look at it and Google things about it or ask about it, but you're not really doing your sales pitch. You're going to lose the first impression immediately because the first impression is on the card. So brochures, dropping out business cards was absolutely something that I never enjoyed doing. What I would do is I will, if they say, hey, drop off information, like, nope, I'll stop by later. No worries. And it could be even a month later before I actually make uh, you know, face-to-face -face meeting. But to me, that's more valuable than having them to having them decide what type of nursing home we are. Um, another thing, talk to the admission director and find out what approach they've been doing. You know, I used to actually meet with all the admission directors um, in all our facilities on the first Thursday of every month. And I'll meet them in a corporate office and talk to them what challenges you're facing, which doctors are you marketing to, um, you know, what's going on with these referrals, why had we this referral, referral but we weren't able to turn it into admission. Um, you know, there's so many things. Sometimes is the clinical and the admission directors, like the DON and ADON, versus the, the salespeople don't see eye to eye. I know that happened with me several times, and you have to respect both roles, but also figure out a way to bring them together. So going back to what I was saying, there are so many things that the owner has to understand. And I was fortunate to work with an owner, like he's still, he's still one of my best friends, that understood and trusted everything that I was saying, everything I did, um, all the moves that I was making in, in a company. And I remember the COO called me one day and he said, in 11 years of business, we haven't reached this in-house total. If you're able to reach it, this is literally what I've been waiting for. And I reached it in three weeks and I didn't even know I was doing it. It's just by being persistent. So continue to do what you're doing. But if it's not working for a long time, make sure you, make sure you revisit and kind of do the blueprint and make slight adjustments. Don't make every, don't fire everybody to fix situation that never works, but you know, make adjustments. Maybe the admission director is better serving as like a business office manager. I mean, I don't know, I'm just saying in general, but always make sure that you work it to make sure you addressing the issue. Not, hey, like this is not working, screw everything. <laughs> got it, got it. Okay, that's a very, very full answer. And I wanna just break that down a little bit. Um, your first point about the medical director and the one that you, you know, chose to discontinue his services. So if you want to call a spade a spade, you speak to anyone who is on the operations side of nursing homes, the medical director for the most part is a formality. It's a requirement, it's a regulation. They have to show up at least quarterly to the, you know, copy meetings and they have to sign off. And there's certain things that can't be done without them. But mm -hmm. usually the engagement between the medical director and the facility, forget about the medical director and the admissions people, is very weak at best. And I've heard this from, you know, from owners and, you know, people above the facility level. But many times when in the facility itself, that relationship is weak. And sometimes medical directors want it. It doesn't feel good to get a check every month knowing that you're really doing nothing. And if you know that, you know, the few times that you do come into the building, you actually make a difference. And there are people there who want your opinion. Let, let's just call a spade. Everyone has an ego, even doctors, can you, if you can imagine that. Um, no offense to any doctors who are listening. But at the end of the day, people want to be heard. They want to be respected. And it's a two-way relationship. It's not just 
the medical director just taking his check and not engaging with the buildings, the building is not engaging with the medical director either. So mm -hmm. that, that point is true. As much as we know that the medical director may not directly impact in a major way the clinical product of the building, um, but it definitely there, there is the abilities, the most skilled professional that's directly connected to providing that level of you know, clinical support in the building. And they are many times under, underutilized. So that's from the building standpoint. And then from the doctor standpoint, it's also interesting. Like you're saying, the peer-to-peer -peer physician community, they're going to say, oh, that's, you know, Dr. Mike's building. So yeah. therefore, it's a good building. Therefore, it's a bad building. You know him from the hospital because you see him in, you know, in surgery. You see him doing whatever else he's doing. And his relationship with you is much stronger than his relationship with the building. But you're being judged based on who you associate with, regardless sure. I don't don't disregard. I'm not talking to you now because you made the comment. But I'm saying to the listeners, um, when whoever's going to see this later, don't disregard. Oh, who cares about the medical director? No, the medical director, even if it's not true, even if the medical director does not impact the care, which he can if you properly engage with him or her. Um, but the perception is reality. So I mean, so I mean that point is is really true. And I know with different buildings that I've been in, the ones that we had great relationships with years later I have medical directors that still reach out you know now I'm in a nursing home I just moved in with my family and I was thinking about you and send a card or whatever with with no ulterior motives and I'm not trying to get business from him he's not trying to get business from me but there was like you said a real relationship so, so that's well, to, something go ahead sorry to interrupt you but like that medical director um, walked into one of our Friday meetings one day uh, there was like probably a couple of months after, you know, we discontinued his services and he was inviting me to his, 16th, to his uh, son's 16th birthday. And it, it blew my mind because everybody was sitting there and they're like, that was odd, but I respected it because he respected me. It was, uh, he understood that just like you said, it, it's not just the commitment that we expect from the medical directors, but are they feeling valuable? Are they feeling needed? Are they providing what? you know, what we needed them for in the first place, which is a guidance and to advocate for the facility. And he probably agreed with me, um, but that, that's why there was respect after that. And and I ended up going <laughs> with a couple of the regionals to his son's birthday party. And it was kind of nice. <laughs> that is kind of nice. Um, and that's, you know, professionally mature on his part mm -hmm. to recognize that this is not a punitive, you know, reaction to something. Just like this, this fit, this, isn't, this relationship doesn't make sense. And right. he also knew that it might be a difficult decision for you in your position in the company. And he has a reputation as, you know, as a good doctor, as you described before, and he is well-connected. And as a company decided that that's not the right fit uh, for the facility. Um, just, and I, I know that there are companies that physician recruitment is like a, a big part of their, you know, marketing plan. And, you know, this is, this is the way the business development is based on that. And a lot of times, you get pushback on the facility level because like we're the ones providing the care. The doctor is like almost irrelevant. Um, first of all, like we just said before, you know, make it, make the doctor more relevant, but it really doesn't matter because at the end of the day, although they cannot, and most honest ones don't push for a particular facility and the case managers are not going to have a little, you know, powwow with the doctor before they send someone, unless it's like a really complex discharge but at the same time, if they know that, you know, doctor, whoever likes this facility because of their outcomes or because there's a nice person that comes in markets and just creates mm -hmm. that relationship, even if they don't even know so much what goes on in the building, you know, that itself 
sometimes could be more powerful and more effective than, you know, than years of working on a clinical product, which should be done as well. Um, but as, let's talk to the clinical liaisons directly because old school is exactly what you described before. Take your cookies with your sticker and your business card. You, you, you're being paid eight hours a day, right? There is, when you are more welcomed into hospitals, yeah, so you can spend time. The case managers welcome you in. There's tons of pressure from the hospitals uh, for the discharge planners to not welcome you and to not talk to you. And frankly, it's it's very disturbing, right? If you're trying to do your job and your job is to make sure the patient ends up in a place that's acceptable, well, they'll have positive outcomes. And there's also something else about which place it goes, which you don't really, really care. Right. What, what you, the discharge plan only care about is that it should be a good discharge. Um, and then you people knocking on your door. Oh, here is a cookie. How, how's your son? And they'll check their notes. Mike, <laughs> how was his fourth? Is that fifth? Oh, yeah, fifth birthday. Right. Uh, you know, and try to make believe. And and here's that frog toy that he likes. I'm trying to remember one of, one of the work with. Used to remember all these random facts. I mean, who who fall who, you know who falls for that? So they they can do that in a limited way. But what is the better way for them to utilize their time? They're not doing physician recruitment. Is there another avenue that they can pursue besides for the discharge planners, or another way to get to the discharge planners? So you're saying aside from getting the physicians at the hospital, aside of working with discharge planners. Um, yes, actually, there was uh, a facility that we had in the north side that um, we, we created a wound program for. So you usually find out what the majority of, like if you have a facility that's, because, you know, sometimes, I mean, I don't know a lot of people that listening to this know this, but sometimes nursing homes are picky and they're going to say, we can't take this because it's a lot of wounds, but we don't have the proper team to actually care for it. Um, so that's an example. Then also there's like if there's short term stay, you don't have like the therapy department, you don't have um, private beds if that's what they're needing. So there's so many things that you have to worry about when you get a discharge, like for the clinical liaisons, which I used to manage as well. So one of the things, wound care, um, we started a wound care program and that also could mean it does not mean that you have to hire all these like wound certified and wound capable, you know, people, but you, it just shows that you have the team and you have the resources in your facility to actually heal wounds, which will raise your senses immediately because then hospitals are trusting you to take care of it. Whether that means by getting the provider group, like physician group, nurse practitioners to come in for the seven-day assessment every week. Um, it could also mean having Part B providers, like what we do with our company. That's when somebody comes in, also clinical person that's certified in wound care, uh, providing education and services, chart auditing, all these things the hospitals want to hear about. So I tell a lot of people even in our business right now, they, I say, hey, you can market us to your hospitals and get more referrals, you know, and I'll be able to get on the call with you if you need me to. I'm happy to do that. And I did that actually with a couple of companies, including the one in Illinois that I, was, I used to work with. You know, I'll get on the phone and then talk to the hospital and answer all the questions and say, yeah, we're prepared to, we support them with this, we support them with that. And it makes a discharge plan or a social worker actually really comfortable by choosing you because they know that you're able to heal the wounds that they're going to send. And until today, like I keep seeing a lot of hospital, hospitals don't send uh, or they will send really complicated wounds to a facility. The facility has to like to reject and say, sorry, we can't take care of them. And it's sad. Got it. Got it. So 
programming is what you're saying is ha having yep. programs in place so i can tell you that it, for, i used to cringe when i would hear ownership talking about programs because i knew how sometimes they were just words that yeah we have a pulmonary program we have a, this program we have a, that program a program is for us was a flyer maybe a respiratory therapist on call that showed up every once in a while and I'm not talking about any particular place. If anyone who used to work with me is listening, uh, I'm really not. I'm just saying in general, it was like, it was like, our, what does this mean to program and how how important is this to our discharge planners? Just for the record, we did have a fabulous pulmonary program. We built a whole new unit in well suctioning and, and piped in oxygen. And, you know, we had a full-time respiratory therapist team. We, we did do a lot of great work with that. But... Um, what you're saying is a certain sense of assurance that the hospital knows that this is going to be a safe discharge because you actually understand the problem and have taken more than the minimal amount of steps, you know, to, let's say, for wounds. I mean, nursing homes, unfortunately, a lot of it has to do with staffing because they can't, but wounds do sometimes fester and get worse. Nursing homes, yeah. It happens in the hospital too, by the way. Nobody's yeah. getting scot-free. You know, there are sometimes you get people back from the hospital with wounds when they went without wounds. Um, and it doesn't mean it's anyone, any particular person's fault, but um, it's definitely a program that can be, that can be successful. And like you said, it's important to speak to, to find out, you know, just because you know wounds, let's say, if you're in a place where that's not the biggest issue and that for them, they need people who can accept trachs, then maybe you want to go down, you know, you want to go down that path. But the point is a relationship point is yep. understanding their needs and, and filling their needs. I, I need to ask, a little bit unrelated, but I, I, I'm scared we're not going to get to this. I know there's another whole side of you that you didn't yet share. And I have no idea how this works together. Um, <laughs> Speaking of wounds. <laughs> do you mind? Do you mind? You can say no and we can delete this later. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. Speaking of wounds, um, I know that you serve in the From what I understand, you actively serve in the military as well, and somehow go there, and you're still involved in the business. First of all, you know how did that happen, and how, and does that at all relate? Is that like a whole separate part of you, or is there any connection between your experience in the military and any practical application to business, and specifically nursing homes? Um, there's no relation. Um, it's actually one of the reasons, <laughs> one of the reasons I struggled getting a job because it's sad to, to say that there were a lot of companies when they found out I was in the army, they, everything went great. They would fly me for an interview. They were so excited to hire me. My reputation in, in sales, I mean, I'd like to think it's, it's pretty high. And then, um, then, um, they hear I'm in the army. And it's always like that you don't hear them from them anymore. And it was really sad. And then but Gentel, the company that I work with right now, they immediately, um, the owner of the company, David Navazio, he's like, oh, just whenever you need to go serve, just go. Don't even take days off. Because I, I would always say, like, should I take vacation days off? Should I, like, how do I enter in the system? And he was very supportive. So there's no correlation between the Army and, and uh, what I do right now. But um, I started serving when I moved to uh, North Carolina, but I serve in South Carolina. And I am a combat engineer, so I'm a 12 Bravo. And uh, when I was in North Carolina, I was told to get an MOS, which is a job occupation in the Army that's fit for a female. And I asked, which, what does that mean? And they said, you know, something like to, to do like paperwork and something safe, you know, because a woman's body is different than a man, male body. And I was like, okay, so what would it be 
that's not fit for a female. They said, well, bravo. I'm like, okay, I'll take that one. And um, they, they, uh, they said, sorry, like they, they did everything they could to not give me that job. You know, they said there's no room enough, like for like 12 Bravo, there's no space for a female. So I enlisted in South Carolina. That's how I started going to South Carolina to actually enlist there. Currently, I'm in OCS, which is Officer Candidate School. I am in doing PMA Class 74. It's a lot. So uh, it's an 18-month program. I'm already on month, um, I think, 10th month right now. And we already done only to 12 people. We started with like 50 plus. Uh, there are a lot of injuries. There are a lot of people that fail exams, fail um, physical activities and i have yet to fail anything knock on wood i don't know what was going to happen but we only had the 12 mile rock which is like having 35 plus pounds on your back and then full gear and you walk up like hills of sand and rocks and my feet were bleeding when i'm done with every time but we have one more 12 mile rock and four mile run and a fitness test and the physical activities are done and hopefully you know i graduate well but so, so, okay, this definitely is fascinating. Um, you seem to gravitate to where you're told you can't go. <laughs> Would you say that's fair? Absolutely. I, I just like challenges. I get bored easily, which is why in the company I work with right now, I started as a regional manager and I was covering, you know, three to four states. But right now I cover all 49 states and then. I'm the assistant vice president. I literally travel. I'm in San Antonio right now, sitting in a hotel room, <laughs> hoping nobody knocks on my door to say cleaning or anything. But um, it, I'm always, I'm always traveling. I'm, I live out of a suitcase in a hotel on a plane in a rental car. That's like my usual life. Um, but I like it. It makes to me, it makes life more enjoyable when you actually have to see what it takes to get there that's not that easy because then everybody will have what you have and it's not so special anymore well too deep no, not, not at all too deep but um that's that's something we have to clip from the audio because um it's true it's a it, it's called true people get scared away from things that are deep um that's definitely 100 true you don't want to just have what everybody else has you also have the opportunity um to see the, to not take things for granted mm -hmm. you not you don't just sit in hotel rooms you also sit in, in the military i'm sure you, the the wherever you're living is not the same as as where you are right it's now it's not a hotel room <laughs> yeah exactly it's, it's, it's not a hotel room it's not vacation <laughs> and um there's probably a certain persistence which you have to have i mean you started with 50 plus people you're down to 10 that means that if 50 people are knocking on the case manager's door and not getting the referrals that they need or knocking on the uh, nursing home operator's door, decision maker's door, and they don't want to work with your company, um, you're not the one who's going to disappear on them uh, because you believe in what you're providing and you know that what you're providing is it's not, um, it's not something that you're asking for a handout. You're offering them an opportunity. And I um, love that you said that. Go ahead. Sorry. But I have a really good point to that that you just brought up. Someone pointed pointed this out to me when we were involved here in the community with some sort of charitable um, organization. And I was very hesitant asking somebody uh, to to participate. And I was really you know hesitating. You know, so the person, first of all, responded extremely generously, but then gave me, you know, um, a pointer. And he said the way he views it, as he is someone who has means to help others, 
is that the reason why he has that is to help others. And it's just like an investor. You know, he sees it as a genuine opportunity, opportunity which is what it is. And he, but he would tell me, I should see it that way too. The money didn't go into my pocket, it went to someone else's pocket. Um, he said, you, you are presenting an opportunity and it's really for me uh, to be able to participate in, you know, in this cause. So if you don't believe in what you're selling and if you're, or if you're selling something that's garbage, then you're right. You got to be a little bit sleazy and you really shouldn't be doing what you're doing something wrong. So you have to try to cover right. it over and be forceful or be charismatic or be something that you're not. But if you genuinely believe what you're selling and what it's not even selling, you're, you're offering an opportunity. What was your point on that? Um, I was going to say, I actually agree with you. What you say is it's not like a handout because um, I am, um, you know, like just like anybody else, like sometimes when I present, I get rejected and people will say, sorry, it's not for us. And and I don't get upset, but I do always demand that they get they give me an answer. Like, why is it not for you? And it's not because I'm trying to force you to talk to me or force you to make a decision. Just be, I need to understand what other um, objections that are out there, like things that make make you not think of us as a good product, because then we can refine the process and maybe work on it. And this is honestly how we build the company around is it's what we hear. And then we're like, OK, well, we'll fix it. We're not taking enough insurances and we'll take more insurances. So um, and I've said it to so many people and I've, I've sent a lot of messages to like owners and CEOs of nursing homes when they say, sorry, it's not for us. Or they don't message me back or they ignore my messages. I get offended in a sense like I worked for a nursing home. I, I was on your side and I know we all market to somebody. So you can ignore my message, but one day I could be the discharge planner at a hospital that you need. So it's not right to, um, obviously you can't force them to, to go with your product, but I do think everybody should get the courtesy of knowing why their product is not worthy of them working with. Not for any reason other than I just want to know. So it's not a handout. I'm here trying to help you with a service or a product that we're doing. And if it's not good enough, let me know why so we can work on it. So, um, yeah, I, I don't feel like I need to beg people for business. And I know what we have is, is a, just like nursing homes believe in their nursing home. Um, I believe that we have a good service. I would not be working at the company for three and a half years if I wasn't very convinced that it's such a great service. Um, but to your point, you shouldn't look at it as, you know, you're begging them to work with you. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, sometimes people will say, you know, it's, it's not a good time. Um, it's not the right fit. They don't know themselves why it's not the right time. It's not the fit. Not the right fit. They may have chosen to work with someone that they know more closely. They may have chosen uh, to take no action. Um, but you're kind of forcing them to make a real decision as opposed to just you know let's not respond to this person who's uh, who's being a little bit too persistent. Um, w one last point here. I see that we're g if you're okay with time. Um, okay. One thing I wanted to get to was specifically using uh, social media. For nursing homes and even more specifically LinkedIn, um, how effective have you found it to, to be specifically, I guess, from, from a vendor standpoint, actually on both the sides? First of all, from a nursing home to get more residents from the hospital, is it a real influence on district planners and decision makers? Do they really care what goes on there? Do they even look? Um, and the other way around as well, from a vendor trying to sell to healthcare providers, to nursing home providers, do you find it, uh, have you seen success there as well? And broaden it, if you don't mind, to others who are in those positions and how 
maybe a couple of practical things that they can actually do to see more success with it? Um, I have always believed that social media is, it's like they call it an army free chicken. Like it's just, just take it. Uh, social media is such a great um, avenue of like literally getting everything that you need as far as whatever business you're in. And when it comes to marketing, like from a vendor standpoint, I'm going to actually loop them in together because vendor nursing homes, it's all marketing. Right. But if you think about it, is it's like if people see your face, I actually had a president of a group in Missouri reach out to me on LinkedIn and say, it's like a celebrity. Every time I turn my LinkedIn, your face pops up and it's some kind of video, some type of some type of message. And he's like, it's kind of like turning the TV on, watching TV. It's like sometimes I look forward to see what you're going to post next. And I find it funny. And then I post videos and might be like 40 or 50 people like it, but I get like hundreds of messages from people that say, you know, it's different. We see you all the time. So my thing is when you're constantly in their face, it's kind of like you're going to see them. People want, people will only buy or sell to something or someone familiar. You know, it's a familiar factor. So if you see them, whether it's on social media, which helps people. So sometimes you go to the nursing home and you see them, you talk to them, and then they see you on LinkedIn and they know what you're all about, especially videos. I think videos are such a, it's like something that you're not utilizing as much. Like I feel a lot of people should get on video and just talk because, you know, you see pictures and you think you just have your own opinion about a person. And then when you hear them talk, you're like, oh, I love the way they speak. I love the way they carry themselves. And it brings you a lot closer to them. So it makes them more of a warmer sale. Um, so that's why I feel like a lot, of t- a lot of times when people need to get on. I talked to a group that actually helps nursing home get more business. And I told them like, just get on camera and say, that's what we do. Cause I've known these guys for a couple of years and I'm like, I don't know what you guys do because you don't talk about it. You don't say anything. So um, I'm fortunate enough that a lot of times I get messages on LinkedIn and people say, Hey, you do one care, right? They might not know exactly what we do. They think we're a physician group, which we're not. They think, you know, we might have like all products that we sell, which we don't, but you know, just that, just that lets me know that they're listening. You know, you might not know everything, but you know what we do. So the power of LinkedIn is, is tremendous. Like just put videos on there talk. You might not go as crazy as I do. And I, I do like funny reels um, and just make it more like businessy and more professional, but they're like not started that way. So I just like kind of a twist, more own like LinkedIn twist to it. Um, I go all these to all these trade shows and people say, you're the LinkedIn girl, you're the army girl. It's because they watch my LinkedIn because how do they know I'm in the army? Like I don't talk about it except for people I work with. So uh, it's definitely a very strong, uh, powerful tool for marketing. And it doesn't doesn't matter what business you're in. Just get on camera and talk. Amazing. I mean, people are very reluctant. I could say that at a point I was doing this professionally for other businesses and getting them onto LinkedIn, first of all, getting a headshot, getting people just to put some basic information. People sometimes tend to be so reluctant to that. They're just like scared to see it. I mean, as an example, you know, I, when I was an administrator, we, a lot of times people didn't want their own ID, you know, their ID badges with their faces on it, um, especially the women. And so I used to do is I used to print their picture on both sides. So I used to always turn it over. You <laughs> so printed it on both sides. Then I explained to them that even if I don't see your picture, I still see your face. You know, you're still here. But the point is that the to the extent that we can 
really be who you really are. When you're in person, no one's scared to be on camera, so to speak, right? You meet someone face to face. You don't put a, a sheet of white paper over your face and just like type the messages and hand it to them, right? We're used to interacting that way. It's a normal way of people talking to people. And if you, it, it can accelerate the relationship uh, building process so much quicker. Some people might not like you, so then they won't. But people who do like you will be attracted towards you much quicker. Um, so, Nibbers, I really appreciate uh, you coming on the Nursing Home Podcast. You've shared with us today um, quite a few very actionable and practical tips um, that really anyone can use in sales, but specifically, specifically in the nursing home industry, whether you're an operator looking to get more residents, whether you're a vendor trying to share the opportunity of your product or service with other healthcare facilities, uh, whether it's through physician recruitment, relationship development, program development, whether it's through social media. Um, and it's really the common thread, I'm just thinking as we're speaking, and I think that we discussed this before, and it's just being genuinely caring for somebody else on um, creating real and authentic relationships. Um, before we wrap up here today, see we went like 10 minutes over, um, which I'm very happy that we did. Um, any final thoughts you'd like to share with the listeners before we let you go for today? Um, no, just uh, make sure that you're being very authentic, very genuine with sales. And if you don't believe in a product, you're never going to sell it. And people can see right through it. Um, and if you don't believe in it, but it's your job, then find a way to believe in it, which means try to resolve what it is that you think is a problem. So just take initiative and make it your business. Um, I genuinely believe that the company I work for is it's my company. I mean, you know, I, I work for it, but I, I truly refer to it as my company. When people say something negative, I take it to heart. When they say something positive, I'm proud of it. I take pride with it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful to be on the show to kind of share this because this marketing for nursing homes was absolutely one of my favorite jobs when I worked there in Chicago. So I can talk about this for days and it's not even an issue, but I appreciate you putting me on the show. And uh, hopefully if there's any nursing home out there that needs any kind of advice, they can uh, absolutely reach out to me. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, what is the best way for someone to reach out to you if they would like to do so? Uh, on LinkedIn, it's my first and last name. There are not that many people. Nebraska Hayek is their name. <laughs> uh, okay, fair or, enough. I know, right? Or Hayek at gmail.com, which is just first right. and last name at gmail.com. Okay, keeping it simple like that. All right, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate that. Thank you. Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know what an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.